Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Before I begin, I just want to give a shout out to all of the developers out there who continued to add features to their products via firmware updates or whatnot long after the product was released. There is a whole bunch of firmware-related posts this week, so I just wanted to take a moment to reflect on that and to just thank everybody who continues to add awesome new features to their products, because a lot of these, as is, are totally fine, and I would have never asked for anything more, but the fact that they give these firmware updates away for free and add all of this functionality is pretty awesome. So just wanted to open with a thank you and let's jump in and see what we got. First up, James from RetroHQ has just released a new firmware update for the Jaguar game drive that includes a bunch of bug fixes as well as a homebrew API that allows homebrew game devs in order to program directly to it and the ability to lock homebrew ROMs to the serial number of each individual game drive, which would allow ROM developers to sell digital versions of their games specifically to individual users. And this is a really interesting feature that certainly is worthy of a, at least a short conversation. Now, on the positive side, this could give some more developers some incentive to sell just ROMs of their games like this, um, because now there's kind of one extra layer of protection from people stealing them and just distributing them. But I have a bunch of mixed feelings about that. For something like a global platform, like app stores on phones, this does make perfect sense because when you have so many people all accessing the same thing, there really is the potential for just theft and, you know, something leaking out there and you losing, you know, a living's worth of savings on that. But with something as niche market as the Atari Jaguar, I'm really wondering what kind of impact this is going to have, because there's not, you know, respectively to other consoles and other things, there's not many Jaguars and Jaguar owners out there still actively playing and looking for, you know, for new homebrew. Now, if you talk about it just specifically in the context of the Jaguar, yeah, there's tons of us who still like to play it and who are always interested in new homebrew, but not as much as something like the Game Boy or PC or cell phone games. So would limiting who could use your ROMs really be a good thing or a bad thing? And in my opinion at the moment, because remember, we're all learning as we go here as humans, so my opinion today is almost definitely going to be different than an opinion I have a year from now. But my opinion at the moment is as long as this is implemented in a positive way, it could be a really good thing. So maybe the game developer gives away the first level of a game for free. So you could try before you buy, you, you could really take a look at it and, and sink into the game and see if it's something you're interested in. And if you are, maybe uh, the game pops up a QR code and you could just scan it with your phone and, and buy the full version if you want. Or maybe this is something like a special edition can be purchased. And, you know, even that implementation is all up to the developer. You know, do you lock a game so you can't see the ending without paying? That sounds kind of shitty. Uh, or do you have a game where you, you've completed the game, but now you want to sell an extra version of it. So you create three brand new levels for people that want to pay. I think I'd be really into that if it was a game I liked. I, I don't really know. I think this is one of these things that we kind of just have to try out and, and see how it evolves. Uh, I'm just really appreciative that James gave developers this ability at all, because this is something that I really hope people take advantage of. And I do genuinely hope that at the very least it cuts down on some piracy issues, because there were quite a few homebrew developers that were selling complete in box versions of their games that had people dump the ROM, clone the box, 
and make their own and sell them on whatever other stores, which is not a gray area at all. That is 100% theft. Um, I've been a dirty pirate my whole life in that there's been many occasions where somebody talks about a homebrew game and I say, you know, send me the ROM, which is illegal. And I try it illegally and I go, hey, this is an awesome game. I'm going to buy this. And I would have never bought it if I didn't have a chance to experience it first. And admittedly, there's also been plenty of times where I go, hey, this is really cool. I really appreciate the work that the dev put into this, but this game isn't for me. I, I just don't like it. I'm not going to spend the money on it. And I was really appreciative that I didn't have to waste money on that stuff. I think music was a way bigger impact for me. And that, you know, I'm old enough to remember the Napster days. I don't know how many people, probably most of you are. And my favorite band on the planet, I've bought all their albums. I've seen them 24 times live, bought the t-shirts, bought the live DVDs. I bought a meet and greet package once. All of that stuff I paid for because somebody played me a song. I stole a couple of their albums, loved it, and then bought everything since. So, you know, I don't mean to turn this into an advocacy for piracy. I'm just saying there's so many cases of giving your stuff out there, but offering the ability to pay has benefited a lot of people that would have never reached an audience. So I guess that's just my plea for Jaguar game devs to look at this in a positive light and not just lock your games down. See what really cool things you can come up with. See what ideas your creative minds could figure out that I'll never be able to think about. You know, just try to figure out a cool way to do this and not just say, you know, I made a Pac-Man clone that I'm going to sell for five bucks and lock it to your ROM cart so you can't try it anywhere else. You know, I'm not accusing anybody of doing that. I'm just saying that would kind of bum everybody out and might discourage homebrew devs from even going down that road. So try to find a cool way to use this. And let's all just remember, support the indie devs that you really like and that are important to you. Because if you don't, they're probably going to go away. And I guess that could be said about any creator, whether it's music or you know retro gaming YouTubers or actual game devs that make games. If you don't support them, they're not going to be around for much longer. Statistically, it just it is what it is. So let's see what where uh, where the Jaguar community can take this and how it could evolve. Artemio and the team behind the 240p test suite have just released a new version for the SNES that adds a couple of new features. First is the new Donna pattern by Jose Salot, who, and by the way, I really hope I'm pronouncing your name right, but, um, and that's the very cool um, graphic that was linked on Twitter and passed around a few weeks ago that's now being shown for one of the tests. Uh, and it's kind of neat. It's kind of like a throwback to the Bill Gates oddly posing on a CRT picture from back in the day. Um, so that was a really cool artwork. But there's also a bunch of other things like 100% um, 100, 100 color bars are now the default for the EBU SMPTE color bars, which are really great for people who want to use oscilloscopes and stuff like that, because you could just fire up those color bars and be able to tell right on the scope which color is which and exactly what their voltage is. So it certainly makes my life a lot easier. Um, and there's also a fixed gray reference color bars and a bunch of other things that really involve calibrating CRTs and monitors. So uh, if you'd like it, this, as always, is a free update. But if you would like to support the project, please definitely consider supporting them on Patreon. Uh, and, you know, I've just, I can't even gush enough over how much I am a fan of this software. It's been such a tremendous help for me and pretty much everybody else in the retro gaming world who does any kind of tweaking or testing at all. So thanks so much to the team for continuing to work on this. It's just such an awesome piece of software. 
Rama just released a new firmware update for the XStation optical drive emulator for the PlayStation 1 that includes a whole bunch of bug fixes and a couple of new features. Um, first, it supports disk queues and folder-based browsing. So if you have your game sorted by region or just, you know, whatever folders you wanted to add, you know, Bob's favorites, racing games, whatever else, now you could support disk queues in that view, and that's definitely my preferred view. There's no right or wrong way to do it, it's however you prefer to organize your games, but it's awesome that that's added. And there's also a brand new memory card manager. So if you have the MemCard Pro, you could delete and copy saves right from the main XStation menu with a controller without worrying about the Wi-Fi interface or taking the SD card out or anything. So it's just, a small but really handy update. Um, I don't. When I say small, it was probably hard to implement, but you know, from the user point of view, it's a, a small but important update. And if you're a user of the X Station, because of all the bug fixes, even if you don't really need these extra features, I would definitely recommend upgrading right away. Um, and if you want more info on this and why you might want this or any other optical drive emulator solution for the PlayStation One, please check out the video in the post. It's still uh, pretty relevant up to today. The only things that maybe are outdated are just a couple of minor facts the general video still holds up um, if you want to make your decision on which one to buy a new firmware update was also released for the PlayStation 1 Digital this week that adds a bunch of very cool developer-focused tools and one that you could even enable that would help the whole community by doing nothing other than turning it on. Uh, so let me get into it. The first is the ability to access the PlayStation 1's serial port via Wi-Fi, which I think might lead to some pretty cool things that are developer-focused and maybe even stuff everybody could benefit from. But there's also the ability to turn on a syncing of the resolution database that Christoph is creating. And what this does is if you toggle this option on, which it's off by default, every time you play a game, every, uh, every minute or so, it'll sync up whatever resolutions the game found to a main database. And half the people listening are probably going, why the heck would that matter? And the other half are probably getting excited because now we might finally have a central database with resolution information on all of the PlayStation 1 games. And while I don't want to get into a deep technical analysis of this, I will give the basic overview in that CRTs could not care what resolution anything was. As long as the refresh rate was uh, whatever matched the tube, so 15 kilohertz for PlayStation 1 and all the old retro stuff and TV signals, as long as it was basically a 15 kilohertz signal, 240p-ish height, nothing else mattered. So when there was a higher resolution mode used, technically speaking, if you were to make it square pixels, it would look wider on a uh, flat panel, but CRTs never saw that. They just squished whatever resolution that you had into, uh, you know, into the four by three aspect ratio. So as a result of that, all of the different modes that the PlayStation allowed for different artwork and games always just looked square on a CRT. But when you're using something like an OSSC with optimal timings and you need to dial in and make sure that the right settings are matched to each game, it starts to get really complicated because while there have been a bunch of awesome people out there that have started compiling a list, this will pretty much go through every game that people play and automatically sync. Now, Christoph hasn't made the database public yet. It's just been released, so I'm sure it barely even has any entries, but he is planning on making it a public, uh, publicly accessible database. So 
if you wouldn't mind turning this on, this is only going to transfer a few bytes of data here and there. It's certainly not going to send full game info and slow down your streams or anything like that. Just a few bytes of data. We'd be able to compile a true list and really get a sense of what resolution each game runs at, which just makes it easier for uh, any kind of any kind of preservation, whether it's video capture to demonstrate what a game looked like, um, whether it's just archiving how these games worked, whether it's any of the scalers that are out now or might be out in the future that might need to know what to expect from a PlayStation 1. There's just so many possibilities of what it could be used for, but we need the data to figure that out first. So if you have a PS1 digital and you're connecting it to Wi-Fi anyway, maybe just consider flipping that on. Um, and I'll follow up whenever the database is available to the public. And let's take a look and see, because I think we're going to find quite a few surprises that some games might have uh, different modes that not many people may have known about. So kind of a, a nerdy firmware update, but I'm I'm very happy to, to be a nerd that likes stuff like this, and hopefully you are too, and would consider flipping that toggle on. And here's the last of this week's firmware updates, but this is a pretty big one. Mike Chi has just released a firmware update for the RetroTINK 5X that adds 444 uncompressed color support to 480p input signals. So I've talked about this before, I certainly don't want to try to, to describe something that I'm not great at, at articulating, but... The end result is through no work of your own, 480p stuff will just look a little bit better. Um, there's a, a example I used in the post here where you could kind of see the inside of the letters of a 480p game that were retro style. Uh, and this is the easiest way to demonstrate that, you know, large, flat color spaces. Because when you start to get into 480p games, you start to get a lot more detail on the screen. So it's kind of harder to demonstrate this stuff. So I took the same picture that Mike did in his Twitter post just to demonstrate because I thought it was a great way to show it. Um, but basically, things are sharper and clearer with this update through no work of your own. Um, there's also more scan line options, which uh, I'm not going to harp too much on here because as we all know, anytime I show scan or anybody shows scan lines over the internet, the compression kind of ruins them. But I think Mike's really dialing this in to the point where it's starting to look great. The only thing I strongly recommend is that Maybe scroll through the post, uh, click on the full-sized image just to get uh, a sense of what it looks like zoomed in and stuff like that, and you could compare the different filters, but try it yourself, because the number one thing that I try to impress upon everybody that messes with these is the normal testing that I do, that zooming into Link's head a thousand times and stuff like that is really great for any kind of sharpness examples just like the 444 color stuff. And it's also really great for dev work for things like this, but you're not gonna get a sense of what the scan lines are like unless you use them on your own TV in your own setting. And this is another scenario that my setup is might be super similar to somebody else's, but I sit three feet farther back from the TV or you know I slouch and they sit up straight so my eyes are at a different angle or, or whatever it is. But it all comes down to what looks good to your eyes on your setup. So if you're an owner of the RetroTank 5X, definitely get the firmware update because it's free and it adds all these extra features. But I would try each of these scan line options to see what's really appealing for you. Because the goal isn't to see 
scan lines. The goal is for these black lines that are emulating the CRT's mask to cut through the image the same way it would have on a CRT, which is why these games don't look blocky and weird on a CRT, that they look fluid and nice. So that's the end result. You're not trying to look at scan lines when you play. You're just trying to have the image get cut through so it doesn't look so blocky, and it represents a little bit closer to what you would have seen if you would use this on a CRT, either today or even back in the day. Um, and there's also a whole bunch of bug fixes and other stuff that have been added to this firmware update. Uh, definitely check out the full list if you're just curious about everything that's happened. And one other thing I wanted to bring up that Mike also mentioned on the firmware update page is just because there's all these new features, doesn't mean that you have to use them. The end result that I came, or in the conclusion that I came to in the original RetroTank 5X launch video was that this device is designed so that you plug in your console, you turn on your TV, and you walk away. If you want all of these new options, cool, but you don't need them unless you either run into a problem or you want to hunt them down. So I generally recommend when people buy this thing, set your input, obviously, uh, set your output to what fits your display best. I always like 1080p 5X for most things, uh, including a lot of 480p content, by the way, and then that's it. And then go back and see, oh, well, I have a weird issue on my Saturn. So, okay, then turn on the low-pass filter for that one. And, you know, okay, I want to check out what scan lines look like. Oh, I want to see this feature. But just dip your toe in the water. You don't have to dive into a thousand features. You could just plug everything in and start working, and it'll look great. So uh, definitely thanks to Mike to continue for continuing to add all of these crazy features to the Tink 5X. Uh, with I mean this with love and respect and understanding of how hard this stuff is, but I do hope one of the features coming up in the next year is an updated menu system, because I really think newcomers would benefit from very basic controls, and then click on an advanced menu to nerd out like I usually like to. But I also understand that designing a new menu system is really complicated. It takes a lot of time. It's, it's, it's not like rearranging an Excel spreadsheet. It requires a lot of work. So, uh, you know, I just hope that that's on the list of Mike's updates in the future is just to simplify it for newcomers while still retaining all of the super nerd stuff that, uh, that we like to mess with. I recently posted an interview with David Haywood, aka Mame Hayes, who is a Mame developer that's been working on the project since 1999, and I had an absolute pleasure talking to him. Uh, I tried to keep things sort of smooth, but I had a million questions I wanted to ask, so I tried to keep it a little more general and, and just kind of like a getting to know type of thing, and hopefully we'll be able to swing back around and maybe do a couple of live streams together or just another, you know, crack a beer, have a conversation style podcast podcast, but it was absolutely awesome to, to speak with somebody who whose work I've been following for a very long time. Uh, and, you know, these podcasts are my favorite thing to do with retro RGB. You know, they're not the most popular and they certainly never make any income, but they're, they're my favorite thing to do really, because I get to speak to awesome people who work on stuff that so many of us appreciate and enjoy. And it's while David does live streams all the time that are quite entertaining, I do like to make sure that I, I highlight all of these devs in a, a kind of a different light, I guess, because I want everybody to know who's working on the projects that everybody's using. And while there's a bunch more people on the MAME team, I hope to interview, you know, uh, as soon as I can. Uh, I'm glad that this all fell into place because I really enjoyed the talk. And I think anybody that's a fan of MAME or just nerd, nerd versations, 
whatever you want to call it. I think I just threw up my mouth a little bit when I made up that stupid word. But yeah, if you want to hear a, uh, <laughs> if you, if you want to hear an interesting nerdversation, definitely check this one out. And as with all podcasts, it's available on everywhere you could hear audio podcasts. So while it's always nice to see the, the clicks and the views on YouTube, when uh, I do the conversation style stuff like this, it gets significantly more hits on the audio only side, which is awesome watch or listen to these any way you like there's you know whatever is the easiest way for you is the right way to do it so um, I just always want to uh, remind people of that so if they click on a YouTube video that's an interview and they only see a small percentage of the clicks that I normally get it's not that people didn't like the video it's just that people prefer to listen to it on audio only which to be honest that's kind of how I prefer to listen to audio interview or interviews like this as well conversation style so uh, yeah Listen to it any way you like, but I strongly recommend giving it a try because this one was a lot of fun. Vanessa just posted a written interview with the developer of the Super MIDI Pack, and it was kind of a short, quick catch-up interview that talked about the status of the project and kind of some of the more behind-the-scenes MIDI-related questions. I definitely enjoyed reading it, and it's a quick one, so if you're even remotely interested in the Super MIDI Pack, I highly recommend just flipping through and giving it a read. Um, one thing I will mention is that the pre-order window for this closes on October 15th. So basically, if you were going back and forth on whether you wanted one or not, definitely pick one up as soon as you're hearing this, otherwise you might miss the pre-order window. Um, other than that, the only other th uh, thing to talk about, there's more info in the original post, but it's basically a device that could turn your Super Nintendo into a musical instrument. It's actually way cooler than that. Please check out the original post and uh, the interview if you want more info. But this is something that I really hope a lot of people put to use. Um, there's already been some retweets from the original developer that showed examples of people using this in action. And I just think uh, it's a really cool way to have musicians create music in a completely different way. So uh, if you're at all interested in MIDI or music creation on game consoles or anything like that, please check out Vanessa's post. Here's a happy story for you. Firebrain X recently stumbled across an old hard drive of his from 10 years ago and thought at first, oh neat, an old hard drive, it still works, all my files are there, but whatever. And then after having a conversation with a few people, I believe QWERTY Moto specifically, he realized that one of the things on this drive was 600 DPI scans of Super Nintendo box art, as well as the cartridges and the PCBs themselves that the developer Nier had done. And while these files had been floating around uh, since then, they had been compressed versions. This was Nier's original 600 DPI scan of it. So this is happy for a couple of reasons. First of all, to have a very detail-focused, you know, completely throw themselves into a project of Nier's pop up out of nowhere is really nice, because even if you were just uh, an acquaintance of theirs and not necessarily a good friend, you still knew that Nier threw themselves into every project they did, and they would absolutely want this to be available, because it really is just a perfect example of their attention to detail and and how cool some of the stuff that they created was. Uh, I have a, an example in the post just to show you what to expect, uh, but my example is compressed too, just, just to show. Yeah, I would highly recommend going and getting the originals to take a look. And that's the other happy part about this post. It's not just that we found some awesome creation of a developer that tragically passed a few months ago, it's that it's available to people. Because that's the one thing that's super important about preservation that so many people are missing these days. It's one thing to make sure that you find this stuff and preserve it. But 
we don't want this ending up like the vault at the end of Indiana Jones. In order for it to, to exist, you need it to be out there for people. So this is now available to download from a couple of different places. Enough people have re-downloaded it now that it will probably be out there forever. And whenever the wiki gets up, which is, I, I would couldn't imagine it wouldn't be more than a few more months before the end of the year, let's say, I'm hoping to at least, at the very least, host a backup copy, just, uh, just, to be a nerd and do backups, but maybe do something a little more in-depth. And that's one of the many reasons why the wiki's taken so long, is that I want to make sure that it's always available. So it's up to the community to add to it and to, to organize it and to keep it up, but I don't want to just put things in a vault. I want to make sure to present things for people so that they could always have access to it uh, and always download it, you know, not GitHub, but GitHub style where you could always download the whole thing if you want or, you know, rip copies of it, whatever. I just want it to always be out there. And part of the reason is for stories like this, you know, because even if, uh, even though I would say respectfully, this certainly isn't Nier's most impressive creation, it's awesome. And it's going to be helpful for many different reasons going forward. So thank you to everybody, you know, and thank you to FBX for, for saving all of these drives. And thanks to Cordy Moto and, and Evan from SNES Central to, you know, for having this conversation and getting this stuff out there. And of course, you know, a shout out to, to Nier for all the amazing work that they've done over the years and, and really just handed over to the community with all of the emulation and everything else. I mean, you know, can't get any better preservation than than having an emulator that people could use to play these ROMs. So just kind of a happy story that put a smile on a bunch of people's faces, and I definitely felt like it was worth sharing here. I wanted to let everybody know that I will be at the Retro World Expo in Hartford this November 6th and 7th, so less than a month away, and I am very excited to be there. It's been my favorite expo. I've been there since the first one, and I really just love that I get to still be a part of it. I'll have a booth there, uh, and I'm also doing a panel with Destiny FOMO and Beast, where we're just going to be talking about what's up in the retro gaming scene and all of the different stuff that we've been working on and talking about lately. So I'm just really excited to be there. Again, uh, I hope I get to meet so many more people. The last time I was there, it was absolutely incredible. It was just so much fun. Uh, thank everybody that came that said hi. I mean, it's just some of my favorite things involving retro RGB are just meetups and hangouts like this. So uh, if anybody hasn't picked up their ticket yet, the team behind Retro World is offering a discount code RGB15 for a limited time. So uh, I think for the next week or so, it will be available. So if you hadn't bought your ticket yet, pick up a weekend pass, get 15% off, use that code. And that's not an affiliate code or anything. I'm not like getting a cutback. That's just a very generous offer from the team behind Retro World to give people a discount to come hang out and, and kind of be part of it. So, you know, I understand things have been so weird in the past few years, and I really am just looking forward to getting right back into hanging out and just having a lot of fun with everybody. So I hope to see all of you there. Uh, the panel is sure to be a lot of fun, and I will definitely be there the full time both days. Uh, if, you, if I'm not at the booth, it's only because I'm running to the bathroom or doing a panel. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll be there hanging out uh, the entire time. So I'm sorry to end this on a depressing note, but something really shitty happened that I wanted to just bring light to because it just sucks. But the game store Forgotten Freshness, which is a group of people that I've known for a few years now. I got to be friends with some of the people that worked there. I've hung out with them at many expos together. Just a good group of people. Um, after the Too Many Games Expo, somebody followed them 
to get food, and when they ran in for just a few moments to grab food, they smashed the window of the car and stole the cash boxes out of it, which is just disgusting and gross in every possible way. I mean, brick-and-mortar stores were hit the most in all of this shittiness the past few years, so to take advantage of a group like that is just beyond horrible. So if anybody knows anything, please come forward, contact Forgotten Freshness. Um, it's just, you know, I wish there were cameras at least so people could, you know, catch the people who did it. Uh, and there's also a GoFundMe if you're in the position to help out for something like that. I know it's it's kind of a weird position to be in because nobody wants this stuff to happen. And it, it just, I don't know, it really bummed me out when I heard about that. You know, not that it would have bummed me out less if it happened to an annoying game store, <laughs> but the fact that it was a, a good group of people that I've known for a while that I know, all, you know, the, their prices are fair. They don't scalp. They, they, you know, they do a great job and they're always at these expos hanging out and being friendly. So if you, anybody knows anything about that, you know, please bring it to their attention. And if you have the ability to, and you're a fan of their store, maybe consider throwing something to the GoFundMe to kind of recoup the cost. Because if anybody is unaware, going to these expos, whether you're a presenter or a vendor or anything else, costs a ton of money. And especially if you're a vendor, because you have to hire your employees, you have to rent vehicles, you have to, you know, it's a, it's a journey. You know, it's almost like, you know, a full production tour. In fact, I think I would describe it as a full production tour. So all of the stores, all of the vendors that go to these expos, they, they pay to get, to get in, you know, they pay for their booth, they pay to get there, they pay their employees, and they hope that they make enough money there in order to, to make it worth their while. And a lot of the panelists and a lot of people who presented expos end up losing money, but it's kind of okay because you still get to hang out, you know, hopefully you get to promote yourself a little bit. It's just kind of one of those things that it's a cool trade-off, but it's not what it's like for vendors. If you don't make money, you lose a ton. And it would have been better to just stay home and not go at all. And I'm, I'm saying that only to put the perspective into place for people that haven't been a part of things like that. Because to spend a lot of money to go there and then to have everything that you made there stolen, that's, that's just a double slap in the face. So, you know, my, my thoughts go out to the whole team. Um, just a bunch of good people, and I'm really sorry that it happened at all, especially to them. Well, that's it for this time. Kind of a roller coaster of emotions this week. A bunch of super dirty firmware updates, followed by a couple of happy posts, and then I just brought everybody down at the end. Sorry. <laughs> but as always, thanks so much to everybody that watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible, because your support is what's keeping all of this stuff going. So thank you very much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>